Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of, of course, emergency medicine. We want to keep you guys up in literature, and to do that, I will spoon-feed it to you. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, they're all great articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care, so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, get in touch, we'll help out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Chris Thome, Clark Strunk, Amanda Matthews, Seth Walsh-Blackmore, and Clay Smith. All right, here's the first article titled, Adverse Clinical Outcomes Among Patients with Acute Low-Risk Pulmonary Embolism and Concerning Computed Tomography Imaging Findings. Thanks to the PESI, SPESI, Hestia criteria, there are tools which you can use to determine if a PE patient is low-risk, low-risk enough to be able to be discharged home. When you suspect PE, of course, you're going to have to get a CTPA to confirm the diagnosis. The weird thing is that this oh-so-important confirmatory test, it doesn't really factor in very much with these risk scores. I mean, it matters that they have a PE and you have to confirm that, but the scan is binary. Either they do or they don't have a PE. There's nothing about these risk scores that takes into account the details of that scan. So why is this important? Well, it's important for two reasons, essentially. First, we've seen before on the podcast, even, that CT scans have pretty good, you know, fair sensitivity for detecting right heart strain. And that right heart strain is, of course, associated with worse PE outcomes. After all, it's what kills people. Second, we saw just back in May that having a bilateral PE makes you more likely to be admitted to hospital even if you're already low risk. What we needed, and what these authors actually did, was to look into the subset of patients who are low risk, in this case as determined by the PESI criteria, but they also have concerning CT findings, and then see what actually happens to those patients. The study was retrospective, from a single center, and they had 331 PE patients who were considered low risk. About half of them had nothing concerning about their CTPA, while the other half had something that might make you pause when you're reading the report of the scan. Namely, a bilateral PE that was saddle or in the main pulmonary artery, a RV to LV ratio greater than 1, RV enlargement, septal abnormality, or a pulmonary infarction. These are all things that if I read them on the CT report, I'd be like, ugh. Now, they compared the clinical outcomes between the two groups. Remember that even with these findings, these patients were still would have been considered low risk. And there is no significant difference in 30-day mortality or the need for ICU support. However, the group with the concerning findings did have more research utilization in that they were three times more likely to be admitted, twice as many had formal cardiac echoes, and more of them had PE intervention teams involved in their care. So of course this was retrospective and thus does not necessarily validate that you can ignore scary findings in low-risk PE patients, not per se, but none of the PE risk tools actually take into account the findings that we're talking about here, and yet all of these risk scores, well, I mean, they still work. So we already saw a paper from earlier this year that had similar findings, although it was also retrospective. 
There is evidence that right heart strain portends worse outcomes. And this makes sense, right? Of course, like I said, right heart failure is what kills these patients. So it's really hard to ignore something that says that there's a worrisome finding that could cause this on your CT. I, so really, I can't tell you what to do with scary imaging findings. It kind of seems negligent to ignore them, but it's not clear what to do if the patient is otherwise low risk. This needs prospective studies. In a spoonful, scary CTPA findings in your patients with PEs makes patients more likely to be admitted and be tested more and was not associated with an increase in mortality or ICU admissions. And then we skip to the fourth article, titled Accuracy of Physicians' Intuitive Risk Estimation in the Diagnostic Management of Pulmonary Embolism, an Individual Patient Data Meta-Analysis, out of the Journal of Thrombosis and Hemostasis. At this point in your life, you're probably suffering from some decision and risk tool fatigue. Wouldn't it be easier to just, you know, go with your gut? Use the decision tool that biology gave us via millions of years of evolution? Of course, I'm talking about gestalt. So how good is it, particularly in the diagnosis of PE? It is, after all, incorporated into well scores in several other decision tools. Let's have a look at 16 studies totaling over 20,000 patients in this meta-analysis. Now, positive physician gestalt was defined as thinking that a PE is the most likely diagnosis. That's how it's worded in the Wells score, so I think this is a good definition. And what did they find? Well, you know what? Gestalt, it's actually pretty good. The prevalence of PE in gestalt-positive patients was 29% instead of 9% in gestalt-negative patients. That ended up with a risk ratio of 3 in every subgroup, they analyzed gestalt in age, gender, comorbidities, practice environment, the other Wells criteria. The risk ratio was always positive. So we're pretty good at, well, let's say guessing. Overall, as a test, gestalt was 74% sensitive and 61% specific, which is pretty good, but it's certainly not amazing. There were limitations in this study in terms of, you know, heterogeneity. Sometimes it was part of a decision tool. Sometimes it was just measured for research purposes. Sometimes it was only taken after the D-dimer results were available, which totally biases your gestalt. I would have been interested to see how gestalt certainty varied among physician characteristics. Uh, you'd assume that more experienced doctors who've seen more PEs might have a better gestalt. That would just be a curious finding. I like the study because gestalt is more or less your pretest probability, which apparently is not half bad for PE, but it's far from perfect. So continue to test and continue to supplement all of your clinical decision-making with decision tools as appropriate. In a spoonful, meta-analysis data shows that your gut feeling is pretty good for PE, a risk ratio of three. All right, that's all our articles. Let's do our wrap-up. From the first article, what should you do if the CT you got for your PE diagnoses a PE and has scary findings? If the patient is low risk, it doesn't seem to make it more likely that that patient's going to deteriorate anytime soon despite the scary findings. That's interesting. And then from the fourth article, you can trust your gut when it comes to PE, but don't trust it all the way. Gestalt is a good tool, but it's far from infallible. Again, if you're hearing this right now, you're not part of the members feed, and so you missed three articles from this past week. What were they about? Well, one article we looked at, if you use a CT in a post-cardiac arrest patient, what are the odds that you'll find something? And then we looked at another article that looked at what if you just pan scan all out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients? And then from the last article, someone asked ChatGPT to make up differential diagnoses, 
and it did okay. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.